Hi, we're Auction Conservation, and this is a Shoe Room Sessions. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Welcome to the Shoe Room, uh, episode whatever the number on the thumbnail is. Thank you. Uh, who are you? What do you do? So, I'm Dave Keir. I'm our Head of Operations here at Oxygen Conservation. Uh, I am, was, and still are, employee number four. So, what did I do? Um, everything to start out with until we employed better people than us at those things. And then they were very gracious about the jobs we did to that point. Nice. Um, pretty much now, I've now settled more into my um, expertise, which is risk management, health and safety, and getting things done on the site. Nice. Before we um, before we get too much into the health and safety, which is the focus of today, um, tell everyone watching how long we've known each other and how long you had to put up with me for. Uh, yeah. So I think I've, um, is it going on sixteen? I think it'll be sixteen years. <laughs> I've uh, had to foot up with you. Uh, we can, we got old. I got old, especially. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've stuck with you. You know. I kind of. You know. Maybe that's um, from lack of ambition on my part. I was just one person, but yeah, um, uh, it's been a, an interesting ride and journey. Watching you grow. Well, to like 5'8 max. Yeah. But, but, um, okay, so that's a good segue into, can you give us your career content page? So give us it in chapters from uni onwards to here. Yeah, so... Uh, mechanical engineering was my my degree at university. Did three years at the the lovely Hull University with you at the time, and you were finishing your your much year. better than people think. Yep, yeah, yeah, Hull not as bad as you think. Oh, and I still live there. I think it's a lovely. You don't live in Hull. You live in the posh bit outside of Hull. Yeah, well, I still think it's a lovely. Place. Okay, it's uh, you know the marina's beautiful. Come visit. Everyone should go to Hull. Um, did mechanical engineering um, because I loved. Um, how things worked, how things moved, and learning and pulling things apart. And thought that was great fun at the time. Um, from there, I moved into some massively high-risk, um, dirty, horrible engineering industries, depending on your, your view of the world. I've worked at uh, nuclear power stations, coal power stations, oil power stations. Um, I went out into the Australian outback and uh, was uh, building iron ore processing mines. At what age? 23. Um, I then came back to the UK after getting a little homesick out there. Worked at uh, nuclear decommissioning for Sellafield, doing project big projects up there. Um, and then decided that um, that probably wasn't bad enough, so moved <laughs> into working uh, um, creating baggage handling systems in the aviation industry in airports uh, around the world. So Tallinn, Malta, Dublin, and down in Gatwick. And then uh, I just uh, jumped up in my career to um, head up um, engineering projects for the UK and the Nordics for off-grid energy supplies, so big factories and things that uh, need uh, propane gas and stuff like that before getting a chance to join Oxygen Conservation. And the um, something that kind of sets your career in context, I think, is uh, at university, you were known as Uncle Dave. Yes. Because despite being the youngest or one of the youngest amongst us, you were the most sensible, the most mature. You drove us everywhere. Yeah, but if that's where I got my taste for being driven around anyway. Um, yeah, sensible from day one in terms of looking out for people. And that's that's kind of run its whole way through. Um, and I also remember when we first talked about you joining OC, it was that description about you've got plenty of red in the ledger. You wanted to put some green in there now, which I... Yeah, so I had two... 
amazing children, four and two, Alex and Holly. And I, I got to the point in my life where I looked at what was happening. And we all know, and I don't want to be too doom and gloom because people probably watch this, get it, um, that, you know, we need to do something to change the what we've done to the environment. Yeah, it's fucked. And it is, yeah. Um, and I wanted to be part of some form of solution. I wanted to be able to look at them in the eyes in 20, 30 years when they were my age and if things have got astronomically worse, I can go, at least I tried. Or if things have got a little bit better, I can say, well, look, I was part of that change. Uh, what I couldn't do is just sit there and watch it get worse. And then them turn to me and go, did you know? I'm like, oh, yeah, we knew. Yeah, we all knew. How's he busy? Busy doing other stuff. Yeah, yeah. but, um, you, know, I, you know, we needed money. and But the garden's on fire, so the whole money thing, you know, becomes a bit irrelevant. At the end of the day, doesn't it? Yeah, you can't spend it if there's no planet left. No. Right. Um so that segues beautifully into so big industries uh, and safety and operation in those procedures has been a, a key thing that's underlined your, your career. I'm really interested in what, what are some of the biggest, scariest, nastiest things you've seen out there that stick in your mind? Yeah. So, yeah, there's been, there's been lots of big and scary things. I've been ingrained in, in risk and, and safety culture from pretty much day one. As you'd like to think in those environments, they're incredibly safe environments. Well, I suppose the, the the one that really hit me when you said I was 23, I went out to Australia. And uh, fun fact, in Australia, if you have an engineering degree, you are signed off to be able to do lift studies. In the UK, you need a, another set of qualifications. What that meant was 23-year-old me could go onto a site with a 200-ton crane with tracks the size of me, and I would design the lifting operations and, and uh, tackle and everything and how it would be rigged up to move in tons and millions of pounds worth of equipment hundreds of meters above the air over everything else. Um, quite scary when that's done the first time and you're responsible for that and you have to take on that ownership and that's, you know, and I've never kind of lost that sort of like ownership for people's safety and risk and the people I'm working with. I think that was the first time I was kind of let loose with, it's on you. Other people checked, but it was my design and you can... Uh, so if um, so, if Andrew, our, our head of people who has a PhD in performance psychology, was here, he would be asking you. So I'm, I'm going to do this. What was the thought process? So when you're looking at that challenge, you realise that's your responsibility. What are you thinking? How are you processing? How are you getting confident that it's going to work and the calculations you've made are the right ones? What were you thinking at the time? Um, so Andrew, um, <clears throat> imagine the Scottish accent. Yeah, kicking in. Yeah. I would have loved it if you'd done the Scottish accent. It um, could have been appropriate. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you're checking, checking and checking again, and, um, you've got to have that sort of trust in everybody else and every other, you know, engineer that's come before you. Um, the calculations, are, are, are there and are tried and are tested, um, bits of information and there's safety factors built into everything. So the irony is by the, there's always a chain of engineers putting safety factors in yeah. that you've all had that training. <clears throat> so I'll have put my safety factors in of like double. To make sure everything is but every single one of those lifting straps and hooks and every, and that bit of steel every single engineer will have downplayed how much it so we're getting double 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 yeah we're probably overcooking everything um but you do watch though you watch videos on youtube's where cranes fail and you just watch Pretty the chaos and yeah that's why sometimes that process is so vital that you have that at the start you have someone thinking about it but you need all the other good stuff that comes around it so I, one of the things that so my my childhood was 
from a toddler on building sites, laboring with my dad, washing out buckets, carrying bricks. So sort of domestic residential builds through all the time at uni, at steelworks and oil refineries, and then time in the public sector with the EA, and then through to commercial again. The thing that always surprised me is the health and safety cultures are so different in different places. So first starting on building sites, people were getting, this is, you know, early, early to mid nineties, people getting mocked for wearing hard hats through to the level of PPE we're at now. And I think there's a big difference in terms of private sector approach to health and safety documentation and paperwork through to public sector, which is far more in engineered and, and robust and going back from the public sector to private again. I remember seeing the health and safety files shrink in half and it was very clean in the corner of the room and not doing a huge amount. Have you seen a huge amount of differential between those various industries? You know, they're all high risk, but are they different in terms of their approach to health and safety and the oh, culture? Uh, yeah, massively. The The level and the culture can be completely different. The first power station I worked at, and we'll name names, I got given, uh, I was just working, getting some summer jobs um, and uh, working an operative. I got given three months in a bit of paper and I asked what the bit of paper was. And he said, oh, that's your risk assessment. You've had it the entire time. Rub some dirt on it and put it in your pocket. Um, down to, um, you know, going into some of the, uh, the zones and nuclear power stations where you have to have a training course on how to get dressed and undressed before you're even allowed anywhere near the place because um, they take it that seriously. So, yeah, there's a huge spectrum uh, of where, you know, the way you should land, you know, somewhere very, very regulated and documented. And then now taking that out of, out of that sort of like procedural engineering side of things um, where paperwork is very, very important because you're doing the same jobs over and over again needs to be done in a certain way to something more like oxygen conservation where it is so much more fluid. The things we could be doing could be changing on different days. The environment's changed so much that paperwork aspect is, becomes much more difficult So um, or too, way too onerous to even implement um, effectively. So you have to rely on the culture and people aspects of it more. Yeah, if we were to put together, so just on one side, you'll have farming operations. You might have an ecotourism side of things. You've got the access and the egress from the site. You've got buildings and properties and animals and every different way. A, a single prescribed method and scheme of work for all those things would take years to produce and, and to account for every single intricacy and, and difference amongst there. I, I can see why culture is is the most important driver of that. How do you get that right then? How do you build a safe working culture? So it, it comes, I suppose it's, where if you bring yourself back to your building site in the mid nineties, where you're getting mocked for wearing the hard hat. Yeah. You've got to have those strong people at the top, putting a stop to that sort of thing and leading the, the teams in the right way. Um, so, if you had, it's it's. If you see apprentices coming onto sites, they will look to what is being done. What is the norm? People want to fit in. People want to not rock the boat. People don't want to seem like they're scared or, or I don't. You know, I'm not the one that wants to 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 stand out too much, especially at that part of their lives. So if you don't have the people at the top and the people that are are already established, setting those behaviours and those and those the right ways of working, and then showing that they'll challenge things and they'll um, put safety first, then <clears throat> you won't, you, it, you know, the culture will die um, and you won't have that safety culture that you need. So it really needs to, so I, my part of my role and what I try to do is be that beacon to radiate out to everybody else. And I'll be over the top, 
and I will, um, an example uh, being is we took an amazing trip co-steering in Wales as a team building exercise. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's traversing um, around the, the rocky, craggy um, areas of the coastline wearing a helmet and a wetsuit. With an instructor. With an instructor and a life vest. <laughs> jumping off 10, 20-meter high cliffs into the water. I never jumped off any uh, anything but the lowest that entire time. I am scared of heights. I, I didn't really want to go to the 20 meters. This wasn't some sort of altruistic thing. I probably would have gone on to the next one. But why I wanted to be show everybody is it was fine to jump off the lowest one. And if that's what you want to jump off, that's fine. If everyone goes to the top and you don't feel confident, the worst thing you could have is someone that's way pushed out of their comfort zone so far. Push a little. Yeah, have some fun. Yeah. But I set the standard. I jumped off the lowest one every single time. We've talked about, about parenting where you want to give your kids the opportunities to challenge themselves and be outside their comfort zone, but safely. It's safely within those things. So two things to pick up there. Um, uh, so we've got our wonderful podcast producer, Josh, stood behind the camera. So this is a story Josh and I had last week where we went to view a site in Cornwall. And um, w when you go view these uh, different estates, you arrive not knowing what the method of transport is because they're, they're not your estates. You're being shown around by an agent usually. And we arrived to, to find uh, the vehicle of choice for the day was a Gator, a little off-road buggy that's there. Not uncommon that would be in those. There can be single-cabbed or double-cabbed. Three of us on the site visit, which is often the way me, Josh, and our head of environment, Dan. Uh, Dan always takes a front seat, primacy, as happened Dan. Uh, he's going to love that line. Uh, and then Josh and I were beckoned to go on the back of the, the Gator, which was full of straw, massive bales of it. And we, we looked at each other and was like, this isn't safe. So... Have we got a camera issue, Josh? No, we're good to go. Okay. Uh, so, um, turned around, signaled to the uh, the gentleman who, who wanted us to go there. And I was like, I'm sorry, it's not safe. We're, we're not doing this. And even I had that moment of, okay, well, this is difficult. I feel feel slightly uncomfortable challenging the guy on his, his site. You don't want to be rude. You're trying to do a transaction there. But ultimately, it was the right thing to do. So, said, no, sorry, we don't feel safe about that. We reconfigured and, and did it a different way. But I tried to use that as a coaching point to say to Josh and Dan, if you're ever on a site and I'm not here say stop and, and and don't do anything you're uncomfortable with and it was a point you taught me ages ago you are the you are the expert on your own health and safety you are responsible and the arbiter and no one else can tell you anything that, that you can't be comfortable with yeah we are amazing human beings and most of us have amazing instincts and can feel when something's not safe and i'd, I'd go further don't just think work think in your own personal life think yeah. you're out and about um you are in control of your own safety. This it's you are the one that has to look after yourself. You know, just because there's a person in a high vis jacket telling you to do something, if you don't feel there's the right thing to do, stop, question it. I think that's almost why uh, I, I kind of fell into this role is because I'm quite you question everything. I'm, yeah, I'm belligerent and uh, are, yeah. argue yeah, yeah. To, to to a fault. I will argue points. In fact, the steer before this podcast from our wonderful head of storytelling, L, was be be day, but. But drop it back a little bit. Back. Yeah, nice. So I think we've done that. I think we're achieving the dropping it back a little bit. Elle behind the camera too, and she's smiling. So I think we're hitting we'll the point. So far. Yeah. So far, so good. Um, I agree. Took my list of questions. So we've talked about the leadership side of stuff in terms of, of creating culture uh, around that. What else comes? How do you balance the... I always struggle with... We need documentation and paperwork and process, but you need enough that that still feels off authentic i i worry that if you try and do that too much people view it as you're not trying to look after it you just ask covering how do you make sure it stays authentic how do we hit the sweet spots of that 
there's an example I always think of that um, is is usually to do around fire safety, and it's one thing that I know that you've changed in your life. Yeah, since, yeah. Um, yeah. Since speaking to you, but um, it's it's always that document that I always draw down to when people tell me that documentation is the most important thing is the fire safety instructions on the back of a hotel room door. They're on the back of every single hotel room around the world. They are a legal requirement. They're yeah. a bit of paper. Someone sat in a room and has ticked a box saying, we have achieved that. I quiz people all the time and said, have you ever read? Ask them, how many of you, when you stay in a hotel room, read that on the back of the door? Because I didn't used to until they've told me to do this. So I'll ask the second question then that uses the follow-up. People that travel a lot. How many times have you left your hotel room and turned the wrong way to go to the elevators? Now, you do that in the morning well rested, you've got yourself ready, you've washed your face. Now imagine doing that in the middle of the night with the ho with the um, corridor full of smoke. They save lives and it's proven that if you just at least just have that plan. I go one step further. If I'm in a certain hotel, I'll just walk the route because um, it could be blocked. I do not want to find that out in the middle of the night. And those things, just like the um, instructions in the back of uh, your seat on a plane, statistically have proven that they save lives. The people that read it are the people that get out. Mm. And so that bit of paper is pointless because people, unless you have a culture that promotes people to read it. So why don't people, when they check in, say, by the way, check that. We can't you, You're totally right. So we stayed in a very nice hotel the other, other week. We travel a lot. We stay in a lot of hotels. A beautiful, ornate map on the back of the door but it was mood lighting in the room, right? There was no bright lights. Mm. I couldn't differentiate the colors. So I put my camera on my phone, on my torch on my phone to try, right, okay, that's where I am. And I went back out the door and looked at, uh, left and right out of there in terms of where the respective exits were. It was really interesting. So I suppose it comes out, how do you get the balance? You need some paperwork. You need the, the, the risk assessments. They help pull out the ideas, but you also... And as a director, there's a responsibility to have of course. those things in place. Yeah, you need all those things. And they're fantastic tools, but they're not... They're not the end. Like I say, it's the the way you need to just have the discussions. And we've talked about a bit. I come from a, we've come from different sectors where they'll put safety at the start of a presentation because it needs to, safety is first, so it's got at the start of a presentation. But then it kind of gets lost in an administrative factor. It's, it's, it's kind of like the, oh, well, we're just going to welcome people. And then it's, it's kind of lost. It needs to be more part of the conversation and in there. I don't like it at the start because, like I say, just, oh, start, yeah, safety's important. Okay, let's move on to what we're really actually here to talk about. Whereas really it should be in the meat, you know, of what we're discussing because it is important and it keeps it the forefront of people's minds. Agreed. I like that though. Agreed. Um, okay. What do you think some of the biggest risks we face as a business are then? Um, with our with the team that we've got, it, it, our biggest risk is driving. It's the most dangerous activity we do um, by far. We cover a lot of miles. Um, a lot of them electric. Came down on my lovely Model Y, and very happy about that. Um, which actually encourages me to stop more and relax and take. I hadn't thought about that until we we wrote, wrote a piece at, at the weekend about about this ahead of the podcast. And it, and it is a fortuitous thing, and you. You adapt your driving style for a need to charge and things like that, but it is a feature, not a bug. Yeah. It um, it perfectly times for needing to go to a bathroom and needing to to take coffee and uh, and having a break on the drive. Yeah. So, um, what we did there was we put everyone through a very 
nice advanced driver training course um, as the best one we could find in the UK. So everybody could learn a little bit more about their driving style. And more importantly, this test track um, was able to simulate real world conditions where yeah. things go wrong. So they had a skid plane, they had like an Alpine Rose track we, and they, they taught us how, you know, to, they had a high speed circuit where we get 100 miles an hour at the end of it. Not that I'm expecting anyone to do that. Please uh, do. Yeah. Um, and one of my proudest moments so far at Oxygen Conservation, um, without a doubt, was the fact we put everyone through this training course and then everyone went up to our fantastic site in Invergeldi for Christmas and it snowed overnight and everyone left that night through the windy tracks, single track roads in the that left the next morning. Next morning. First thing in the morning. Yeah. First thing in the morning. Yeah. And every single person that was driving that car had experienced a few weeks before what it's like when a car skids and how to correct that. So everyone else, just everybody, most people coming out, felt the car move and it and gone, I know. Yeah. I know what happens. Okay. I know how to correct that. They took it nice and slow. They took it quietly. But that, without that training that, and learning that for the first time, and me especially, when I did it for the first time, my car spun in circles. Yeah. And that would have been us into a tree. The, um, that, that was such a powerful training course for a, a number of different reasons. So everyone without fail said it's the best, best training course I've ever done. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't cheap. We invested in a really good high quality training course. But, and this is that authentic thing I talk about. If you are a business and you, you, you out there, if you say your people are your most important assets and you don't invest in them and you don't keep them safe, then you're lying, aren't you? What are you doing? So I, I appreciate the limited resources in businesses, but invest those in your people and looking after them and ensuring they're safe and happy and healthy and, and can do their roles. Everyone loved that course. It was experiential learning. If we'd have handed people an advanced driving book and gone, there you go, you're safe now, we've done what we need to, that would have achieved nothing, yeah. nothing. Virtually no one in our team would have read it. You might have read it. Welcome back, everybody. Health and safety and Dave, both hot topics, uh, which meant our camera overheated and had to spend a little bit of time in the fridge. Thank you for fixing that, Josh, podcast producer of the year. We were talking about the the impacts of experiential learning and development and how that can make a difference from health and safety. So we talked about um, taking the team on the most incredible advanced driver course and how you should invest in that health and safety side of it to, to make it experiential and we've got another one planned so in the new year we're thinking the off-road component to this yep most definitely yeah especially as we get more and more estate managers and people that are going to be uh up the top of hills and potentially getting stuck and knowing what to do and, and learning about that environment so that's getting quite exciting that, that's one of my favorite stories that i'll share um so we, we've seen 70 different estates in in person in the last 18 or so months one of which we were taking to this very, very private estate in Scotland where the, the elderly gentleman who was looking to sell the place didn't want any of his team on site to know because it's a, uh, an emotional issue for everyone. So covertly took us up on, on this tour of the estate up a very, very steep hillside, 30 degree heat, hottest day of the year last year and decided as we were driving to the to the peak of this Munro, he said, oh, we usually park on the hard standing over there, but I'll, I'll do it this way. So then drove around the side of the, uh, of the hard standing and his vehicle just dropped into a peat bog. So we had a five hour walk off the hillside with said gentleman, um, who was in his seventies, no water, wearing deck shoes, no hat. Uh, Dan and I, who were, who were on this tour, had water, sun cream and bags with us. And and that was a, a key lesson. Be prepared for what might happen. Don't assume it's gonna be fine. You can get off again. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's probably one of the top safety tips is um, don't be complacent. Yeah. Don't ever, just because you've done things 
you know, he's probably been up at, uh, up to the top of there 100 times, and it's the 101st time where something goes wrong, just because something uh, went perfectly as planned the first time doesn't mean it might not go wrong next time. And that's why safety is never a thing that you, you finish. No. You know, it's not an annual, you do the paperwork, it's done. It's a constant iterative discussion and thoughts and feelings, and it should be in your mind whenever you're doing an activity, at least even a small amount. Just, uh, you know, not even engage that uh, unconscious part of the mind. So if you can give one piece of advice to people watching and listening to this to make their day a little bit safer today, do you have anything you'd suggest to them? Um, wear sunscreen. That's probably a good one. Skin cancer is no joke, even in this country. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it, it's take some ownership and look out for everybody. Look out for everybody else. I, um, I've constantly annoyed my wife by interjecting into things. Um, just in general. Just in general. Yeah, yeah, just in general. I annoy my wife quite a lot. She puts up with a great deal. Um, but um, just when you're out and about, just if you see something that's not right, you just, you, you just, you go and own it because people don't. Um, we were in a busy shopping center and a, a sandwich board fallen over on the ground. People were just walking around it. Uh, I walked over and I put it back up. And she's like, oh, don't get involved. Just, well, you know, someone, you know, partially fighting might walk by, they might trip over it. It's that thing, right? A rush. Someone should do something about this. Yeah. I'm someone. Yeah, if you can make the world a little bit safer with taking three seconds out of your day, own it and do it. Brilliant. And I think the thing that the team would all say about you, you're the little guardian angel that sits on the shoulder, sarcastically telling them to be safer and, and challenging them on everything. So I think you've definitely achieved that here. Um, we like to end uh, a shoe room session, whilst this has been focused on health and safety, um, bringing it back to, to scaling conservation. And what does scaling conservation mean to you, Dave? <sighs> God, um, for me, I mean, for, for me, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do something at massive scale. I suppose uh, it's 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 look at what skills that you do have, and I am probably the least obvious person to be in a conservation company, given where I came from. <laughs> not the damage you've done previously. I, I mean, we can have a long debate on energy policy, whether or not nuclear is, is uh, have a place in the mix. Uh, uh, agreed. Read uh, Bill Gates's book. It'll help with that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's look, don't just look at doing what everybody else says you should do, like go and plant a tree. Look at where your skill sets lie, where you can apply those, because you're going to be the expert in that. So I took my skills and how if I can make everyone scaling conservation safer, then that's how I'm going to scale conservation. Perfect. Awesome answer, Dave. Uh, that's us done for time, folks. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time we've got a shoot room session.